Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 93 of Unblocking Crypto. Hal, as always, it's great to see you again. Hey, good to be here, Jason. So, lots to talk about this week. We got some inflation numbers that are going to be coming out, I think, today, which should change... I think the mentality of what's going on with Bitcoin based on what everybody else is saying. Have you, have you heard much about that lately? Not really. I know that the expectations for inflation or for unemployment, or I'm sorry, for CPI is in that low threes. So we'll see what happens. But it's if inflation keeps going down, then there's a good chance that interest rates start to come down and then liquidity goes up and Bitcoin goes up. So. Well, you, you also have the CEO of Grayscale that pretty much came out and said, get ready for the main event. So there is a lot of thought that ETF, positive ETF news is going to happen here soon too. So it's it could be an interesting week here in the next few days based on what's going on there. Yeah, we're in this window of like six days where all of the Bitcoin ETF, spot ETFs could be approved at the same time. I don't think it's going to happen because it seems like that's too fast for the SEC to move and their backs aren't completely up against the wall, which is seems to be what it takes for government employees to actually do something. So I don't think this is going to happen this week. So it's going to be go through the Christmas season, pop out in January. The government gets back to work like probably the Monday, whatever that is, the 8th, something like that. And so they've got two days to not approve them and let them happen. And I, I, that's probably what's going to happen. So we'll, we'll see. They could, they, they could pull a rabbit out of their hat and, and delay this thing even more. But the SEC, I don't see the SEC like, you know what, let's go ahead and get this done before Thanksgiving. <laughs> Friday's their last day of work for the year, basically. Yeah, I think it's one of those, even if they did say, okay, we're good to go, it's still going to take a month or two before it's allowed to be traded, right? So uh, even if they say go, it's it's not overnight by any means. Yeah, there's going to be like six weeks. The, the different companies have to get their custodial partners in line and get everything set up. So uh, even there was a, a rumor that the iShares, the BlackRock ETF was going to start seed funds in October. And I don't even know if that happened. So we'll see. The The ETF is, it seems to be inevitable. So it's it's better here than like a year ago. It was like, we, we just, we're in the same loop that we were in for the last several years. It was, so there's no way to know if it was 12 months or 36 months away. Now it feels like it's a few months away. So we'll see. I think when that ETF cuts loose, there's a lot of money that can't get to Bitcoin that will now be able to get to Bitcoin. And I think that that'll bring in extra money. People sitting on the sidelines that wanted to get in even through normal means, like going through exchanges instead of going through the ETF. I think that money comes in. So, you know, I've run, I think last week I was like, I don't know how to calculate what the funds flow into Bitcoin means as far as price. So I kind of played around with that this week and kind of figured out 
more or less a hundred a ten billion dollar funds inflow would take us from where we are today to about seventy thousand dollars per bitcoin based on the same amount of funds flow and re the result on the market cap going from sixteen thousand to the thirty seven thousand we're at now about four billion has come into come into the market this year through exchanges and so you know it's a little fuzzy right because long-term holders keep holding so the the tighter that grip is the greater the multiplier on every dollar coming in impacting the market price because if most people aren't selling if if, if thirty thousand dollars just isn't enough for you to sell then you know, you're you're talking to a smaller number of of sellers and and holders of Bitcoin. So as this thing goes up, you might have a bigger buyer pool, or you may have a smaller one. Like some of these Bitcoin guys are like, they're not selling. It doesn't matter if it goes to five hundred thousand. So it's kind of it's kind of fuzzy, but just kind of looking around, playing with numbers and stuff. It's I kind of came up to get to one hundred fifty thousand dollars in Bitcoin. We kind of need about $24 billion of funds flowing in because I think that 150000 I see a lot of predictions of 130000 180000 200000 So like 150 seems like it's kind of a, a, a not a bad place to start looking for a target. So $24.5 billion to flow into Bitcoin, you know, if that's over the course of a year from the time the ETF steps in, then you get the having, then you get the funds flow in after the having and minor capit capitulation and all those things. It's not unreasonable, but it, it make it, doing this exercise made it harder for me to think that we're going to see like three hundred thousand in these like ultra bull cases that that I've been reading. And so, you know, one hundred fifty seems like a top end goal. I would love to be totally wrong. I've been reading an article about JP Morgan Chase talking about don't expect the ETF approval to increase the Bitcoin price because there's already ETFs out there in Canada and Germany that didn't really increase the Bitcoin price. There just wasn't a lot of interest. Uh, so they don't think that's going to be the reason. They, they think that if anything, it'll be people moving money from stuff already in crypto to this, so like GPTC, I guess you would move it away, move it away from like maybe a mining, mining Bitcoin mining company. Now, I will caveat that is everything that JP Morgan Chase has said about crypto, I don't think you want to listen to because <laughs> they tell you one thing and do the opposite, right? So it's interesting that they were saying that, but at the same time, I'm like, man, I don't trust you more than the Wall Street Journal or anybody else that lies constantly with all this stuff. So. Yeah, I've read like the buy the rumor, sell the news on the Bitcoin spot ETF stuff, even from Bitcoin publications and people. And I just don't think they're thinking this through because the buy the rumor, sell the news mantra for investing, you know, it's like there's a new model released by a car company that they think is going to be popular. So the price escalates, you know, before that press release because people are starting to hear rumors about it. And then when they actually release it, the price goes down because you're a year away from selling. And then, you know, six months away from here, from getting the actual profit hitting the 
P&L and have an actual hard impact on the price. But here, this is like a very different piece of news, right? This news, when it comes out, means, hey, they're going to be buying Bitcoin off of exchanges because that's the only place you can buy it. And that's going to have to drive prices up. And to think that only crypto money is going to come into Bitcoin through the ETF is ridiculous. I, I know multiple financial advisors in my small southern town that have sat down with their customers and start opened them a Coinbase account and got bought Bitcoin for them, you know, helped them buy Bitcoin on Coinbase because it's just like as a service. I mean, they're not getting any payment or anything, but they've got the rest of their portfolio. So they're helping them out on, on the other side. And those guys will immediately call their clients and say, Hey, look, we can, we can put an allocation into, into Bitcoin. We got a spot ETF. It's just like everything else. I want to do 2%. You're, you're 50 years old. 2% makes sense. You're 35. Let's go for 5%. And, you know, these guys, these guys handle in a small town like mine, 50 million, a hundred million dollars. And so, you know, not to mention the 401ks that they have on their corporate accounts. And so to think that it's just going to be crypto money, I think it is a miscalculation. It's, you still have the same guys, the same crypto guys that are, have been buying for years. And it's really picked up steam in the last year too. So those guys aren't going anywhere. So you've got this kind of constant buying pressure. And then on top of that, you're going to add new money that hasn't been allocated to this. And I mean, you got to think if you're 30 years old, 25 years old, and you're into Bitcoin at all, and then your, your employer option in your 401k, you can now get Bitcoin exposure. But perfect. If you're 25 years old, you don't want to touch Bitcoin for 30 years, 35 years until you retire. Like what a better thing to put into your 401k than a, a spot Bitcoin ETF. So I, I think that that's a kind of a nonsense answer. I, I don't know if he actually intends to try to suppress the price until they can start buying Bitcoin in, in an ETF or whatever. But it's to me that that doesn't that doesn't hold water. It doesn't it doesn't seem logical. And the the more I think about it, the more it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, what's interesting? You look at Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. I mean, it's down to its lowest discount that it's been at in quite some time. I think it's, it's at 10% or so now. Yep. Uh, and it's, well, I mean, it's one of the only ways that institutions can actually get into Bitcoin right now, right? What's crazy is there's actually institutions interested in Solana still. So I don't know if you saw the Grayscale Solana Trust, GSOL, uh, but it was trading at like an 860% premium uh, because that's literally the only way to get into Solana right now from an institution is to go through this this trust. And if you look at all these grayscale trust in the past couple of years, they've gone from huge premiums to discounts. So like Bitcoin used to trade at a 41% premium in the last two years, got down to about a 33% discount. Uh, Litecoin was kind of similar. It was, I mean, I think it was almost 6,000 or maybe 600 something percent premium. And then it got down to a 46% discount. So Solana has a, a huge premium right now, but I guess that means that somehow it could be a discount in the future if the SEC or see if whoever's going to make this call is ever going to say Solana is actually not a security and can be traded on, on the commodity market. You know, I've heard Solana 
as much as I've heard any other crypto this week. And it seems like it's only because it doesn't die. And it's, I mean, you got really inexpensive transactions and high throughput, but it's, is it really that, is it really that much better than another, you know, pre-mine, high transaction, low cost? Is it any different than anyone else? I don't, I don't know, man. I, it seems like every day, you know, it's, I'll, I'll listen to some Bitcoin stuff and then somebody will bring up a Solana chart that's going crazy and start predicting, you know, $150 Solana, which I mean, great, I guess, but all I, it, when there's good news, it's all about the price. And when there's bad news, it's all about infrastructure problems. Like it, it, it's down for a day. So like if the good news is price-based and the bad news is real, it, it still feels real shaky ground for me to stand on. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know whether it's good or bad, right? I just, I would say I'm not disappointed since I do own some Solana. So another thing we've talked a lot about this year has been regulation. And there's been a couple of things that have popped up here recently from the regulation side of things. One was Senator Ted Budd, who I think is from North Carolina. He just threw the Keep Your Coins Act out there. And I feel like this has happened multiple, multiple times, but the goal was this bill would, would allow people to have a, a right to self-custody their crypto assets. And from what I understand, it's kind of like if I wanted to self-custody my crypto assets and send them to you for any reason, I could do that. Whereas the people like Elizabeth Warren are saying, no, that you have to go through this trusted third party and they have to KYC and do everything to make sure there's no money laundering or anything going on. So, I mean, of course, I'm a huge fan of this. I think it makes sense. They're worried about this small percentage of people that are money laundering, although they're doing it with US dollar today much easier because there's no way to track it. And they think that crypto is going to be easily trackable, which it's kind of funny because it's all on a blockchain. It's all public. It's all out there. You can see what's going on. So it's still kind of a mess in my opinion, but it's uh, I'm glad that this did go in there and, and hopefully it actually turns into something at some point. Yeah, I listened to, I think it was a few weeks ago, Elizabeth Warren was talking about eliminating self-custody like eliminating wallets that were single use which is pretty much every time you use a tracer or a hard wallet it creates a new wallet or a new address and once every like you said everything through a third-party custodian and which means you can always block off the exits and trap people and it it, it's 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 like a hybrid CBDC, right? If you let people have crypto, but it has to be through government-approved exchanges or custodians, then they have all the control and visibility. So I, I, it's just such a loser move, you know. Like this is backwards. You, you just don't legislate backwards like this, right? The market. It's not like they're like, oh, you know, you can't use AI, right? Like. Sorry, you can use AI, but it can it can only process, you know, you can only use X megawatts of power to do it. It's like they don't do that, right? Like, oh, AI is going to revolutionize things. Let it rip, and we'll regulate it when things settle down. With crypto, it's like, oh, we need to slam on the brakes. And they have they they're they're so far behind. The government needs to do something before somebody like Elizabeth Warren screws something up. Yeah. Well, so speaking of that, Tom Emmer just, uh, I guess, proposed the nonpartisan appropriations amendment, and it 
passed, I think, without any opposition in the Senate, and now it's going to the House. But pretty much what it's doing is, I guess the way I understand it is it allows those public officials that are appointed and not elected to be held accountable. And specifically, it's pretty much based on Gary Gensler <laughs> and what he's done in the crypto space to prevent crypto from moving forward. It's going to theoretically be able to hold him accountable um, for being the, the, the stopgap and not allowing anything to happen. You know, Congress delegates its power to all these unelected bureaucrats in all these different ways, right? The FDA, <clears throat> the CIA, FBI, SEC, everybody actually does everything. And Congress just fundraises so they get elected again. They don't, They the only legislation they seem to pass are these gigantic omnibus bills. They wait until the government shutdown is looming and then they cram a bunch of stuff together and then they pass it. And with crypto, you really shouldn't do that, right? They should come up with a good framework for some digital asset legislation and go through the process and spend six months or nine months understanding it and building something to make sense. But probably what they'll do is in one of these omnibus spending bills that is going to get crammed through, they're going to say, we need to establish the digital assets and securities platform. And here's $5 billion. And then there'll just be another agency that isn't elected that creates rules and regulations for the digital assets industry. And, and it just that way, no matter if it was the right thing to do or wrong thing to do, they can get reelected. And if the decisions are made poorly, then it's it's not on con the congressman's fault. It's it's you know basically a guy working for an agency. So I, I think holding them accountable is good. I think it would be great if if that passes and the SEC can't really do anything until Congress acts because Congress won't act. So that's fine with me. This Gary Gensler thing has gone on long enough. I mean. He, it's it's obvious what he's doing, man. He just delay, delay, delay. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. Well, at a certain point, you can't delay anymore. So. Yeah, the Gary Gensler experiment needs to come to an end. Yeah, yeah and I, I was excited about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I man, listen to him at MIT doing lectures on blockchain and understanding Bitcoin. I'm like, man, this guy. At least he's not. A, he's, at least he's not. You know, just a banker's banker that only only understands like half of how the dollar works. You know, this guy was like he understood what Bitcoin was and he just, it seems like he's got like Elizabeth Warren's got pulling the strings on him or that, that team at least. And he just is dragging his feet on everything. I mean, he's a smart guy and he has used some really dumb logic to keep his position on all this stuff. Yeah. No, I definitely agree there. So from a macro perspective, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world too. And I don't, I mean, we, I haven't really talked much about it, but this the wars going on around the world, U.S. and Europe apparently are starting to nudge Ukraine to let's let's talk about peace because we're <laughs> running out of money. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Japan just passed a like 110 billion dollar stimulus package because they're struggling to fight in inflation. Uh, we just had there's another bank that failed, Citizens Bank, the small one, not the big one apparently, in I think Illinois or something like that. Uh, it, it failed. The Federal Reserve uh, absorbed all the deposits or FDIC, whatever they are. 
Right. And then you got like companies like Bank of America that have $136 billion in unrealized losses <laughs> sitting on the books from all the bond stuff. So it's, it's kind of a mess with everything going on right right now. And it's, I mean, just from a, when you look at it from that perspective, it's like, okay, now I know why Larry Fink keeps talking about this flight to safety going to Bitcoin because you can't just print everything, which is what everybody is going to have to do or doing already around the world. Yeah, you said it's a mess. I mean, it's true. Like you just blew through Japan printing $110 billion to fight inflation. <laughs> like, like that's just the headline. It, it's, a, it's a mess. Like you can't, if you haven't learned that you can't print money to fight inflation, you know, they're just going to have to yield curve control. They're, they're, they're in a bad spot and they've been in a bad spot for like 20 years and they're still doing it. And so you got that problem. You've got, we're, we, if you annualize the uh, national deficit right now, we're at a trillion dollars a year in, in in national debt interest payments. So that's bigger than it. That's now our number one expense, right? Greater than the military, greater than Social Security. So you know we we've crossed that border. So now now a trillion dollars in a year of interest expense is no longer a it's not it's no longer something that's never been done before. So like. Oh, okay. Well, we did it last year, so it's no big deal. 1.2 trillion. What's you know, what's the problem? So, you know, that's how the government works, right? It's like, well, the world didn't collapse when we crossed that. So I guess we can keep screwing it up. <laughs> and so yeah, I mean, it's like there's a ton of stuff that's falling apart. Banks are starting to, you know, they're holding all these two and three percent loans that are awful now that they can give out six, seven, eight percent loans that no one wants. And so they're finding ways to call like loans like bank like if you bought a house and then moved quickly thereafter you know like if you bought an investment property but set as your primary residence to get the loan things like that that aren't super common they're going after those people i've got a friend of mine who's a, uh, a real estate attorney and he's he's like i've got three of these where the bank's calling a note and i've never had any of them <laughs> but these banks are just trying to dump these crappy mortgage notes they're sitting on in any way they can, even if they're screwing people over. So, you know, that's not good. <laughs> so yeah, banks are sitting on bonds that are paying one and a half percent and they're sitting on mortgages that are paying two and three quarters. So yeah, they're, you know, they gotta, they're gonna have to find some fishy ways to get out of this. And meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, you have MicroStrategy who is now sitting on over a billion dollars of unrealized profit. Uh, during all this, when everybody thought they were crazy, I mean, it's like what twenty five percent more than the amount of money they've spent on all of this, right? So it's it's a good story <laughs> from everybody else in there saying, all right, "I'll go buy Bitcoin," and at the end of the day, I look a lot better off than what everybody else is doing. Yeah, I mean, especially I mean, if you look at sailors' cost basis, it's like thirty thousand, like right at thirty thousand, twenty nine and change or something. And so, yeah, okay, it's we're at thirty-seven thousand now. We're not at sixty. You know that people will buy Bitcoin at sixty thousand. They did it three, two years ago. So, if you're sitting on, you know, three hundred million dollars in your corporate treasury, and a year from now it's going to be worth two hundred and sixty million, it it's worth looking at. Oh, you know what, Sailor did it, and oh by the way, it's a lot easier to do now. You know, the FASB rules are different. You don't have to take the 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 hit on your balance sheet and and to me it's a no-brainer 
right? Even if you, even again, man, even if it's just 5%, or like yeah. that, that little hot sauce in the, in the portfolio, you know, it's, it's beneficial. I mean, when you got 5%, you know, you can get 5% on a, on a short-term bond. That's, you know, that's more what corporates are used to, but man, five, okay. So we're gonna get 5% on most of our money. Let's put 5% into Bitcoin. If it goes to zero, we're covered. If it doubles, now 10% of our corporate treasury is in Bitcoin and we can deal with the gains. That's a much easier decision to make. So I know we haven't talked about FTX yet. So I'm going to get to that in a second. But <laughs> if I did see the company, the media company, The Block, was recently sold for about $70 million to Singapore, I guess, business foresight ventures over there. What's interesting about the block is the a lot of that money went to pay out the old CEO, I think, and that old CEO had recently come out last year, I think, end of last year, and said that FTX had been, or sorry, not FTX, Alveda Research had been secretly funding the block for a couple of years since like 2020. So it's interesting because that was one of the few places that kept saying, oh, yeah, FTX and Almeida, they're doing really good. Right. <laughs> and no wonder they were getting paid out on all of that. So it, it is another one of those kind of crazy connections with FTX that's, that's happening. And, and now even FTX, there are three potential bidders to bring it back online. So <laughs> I wish this was a joke, but one of them is a company called Bullish, which is run by an ex-president of the New York Stock Exchange, it's a, uh, a crypto exchange. And the other one is the Proof Group, which is a Silicon Valley venture capitalist, which is also one of the companies that was in, involved in the Celsius buyout that they're now, I guess, exiting bankruptcy here as early as next year too. So. Kind of crazy. I mean, FTX apparently has found $7.3 billion in assets. Most of them are liquid, but what is, what is half of it? I don't even know what, what that means. I think they said they're going to give 90% back, but I still am questioning whether that, that really happens or not. Yeah, I, I can't imagine buying FTX out of bankruptcy for anything other than like dirt cheap. And like at least buy, because I mean, I my understanding is the platform that they had for buying and selling was pretty user-friendly and pretty good. I'd never used it. So like there's value there as long as you actually buy the freaking assets that customers tell you to buy and you figure out how to keep it in custody. But you got to really trust who you're buying crypto from unless you're moving it immediately to hardware wallets. And so who's going to trust FDX 2.0? You know, and the same with Celsius. I read an article that said they're they're cleared of bankruptcy and now they can be bought in the open market. It's like, all right, you're going to open up Celsius again. Are you going to do? Are you going to do crypto backed loans and pay people dividends on their crypto? Because that's what they did last time and they failed. So I, I'm not sure. There's going to be a whole other round of new people getting into crypto, and I guess they're just going to take advantage of them again. And the, the people that have been in it are going to tell them not to, just like it happens every time. And they're going to be able to build a business off of it again. So I, I guess the timing, I mean, if, if I was that guy that started these businesses, I would say, hey, the timing is great. We can get, the, get it off the ground now before the halving. And then by the time things ramp up again, we'll be up and running and we'll have some several months of being able to show, you know, we paid 600 
Bitcoin in interest over the last three months or whatever they're going to do. So I don't know, man. I, I'm I am not going to dip my toes back in that pool, even though it was nice to gain some Bitcoin on, on my BlockFi move and then pull it almost all of it out before BlockFi collapsed. So and then after it collapsed, I got all my stuff back anyway. So it was like it wasn't the end of the world to use them, but like it would be if I just left it in there and thought everything was fine. Yeah. Well, I think Celsius, one of the big things they're doing is they have a huge mining facility and that's what was really, it was bought for. Wow. So it's, it's not so much to, to redo what they did before, but now they have a huge mining facility that they paid very little for. And mining, Bitcoin mining is probably not a bad business to be in, especially here in the next couple of years, at least. Yeah, I was thinking about that because the hash rate hit all new high again this week. It seems like every week it's it's going through the roof again. And I'm like, this having, if you don't have something close to free electricity, you're going to struggle to compete against the guys that have, the, you know, the solar farms and the, the contracts with electric grids to turn off the miners and, and accept payments for power not used and you're going to be if you're just buying power you're in trouble or if you have some kind of advantage that isn't real it's going to get snuffed out after this having so you might have good equipment and good miners but if the power is expensive i think you're toast so we'll see i mean maybe the maybe the price goes up and they aren't but if hash rate keeps going up and price doesn't i mean you know, there's like that six month period after the happening but having but before the price starts to ramp up where you know people are the miners are kind of shutting down and stuff the, the inefficiency so i don't know i don't know how this works because this i feel like this is the first one the first having where you've got a lot of big time mining companies and so and they're fairly professional i mean i think china's mining stuff coming back but i don't know i don't know how this goes especially i mean you're talking about mine bitcoin mining when you're not at a zero percent interest rate environment right i mean all those mining companies basically they took loans 200 million dollar loan at one percent built all this mining infrastructure up and collected bitcoin and could easily pay the loans down well you know those are commercial loans so they're they're adjustable at some level you know five-year balloons or five-year readjustments or something so they got to be coming up on paying some some real bills and i don't know we'll see how it goes i think the price goes up but we'll see how how much of that is yeah no it'll be interesting to see what happens for sure some other interesting news that i saw Binance is leaving russia not too surprising and pretty much what ended up happening is it looks like there is a russian exchange that Binance is pretty much just pushing everybody over to that. There is a little bit of connection because I think that exchange did hire some Binance execs. So whether or not Binance owns that or not, I'm not really sure, but it is, Binance is kind of walking away. And from a, a business perspective, that's probably not a bad idea just with everybody not being a fan of Russia and, and everything going on there. So it takes Binance out of that and it allows somebody else that to deal with russia and the rubles yeah i mean it's kind of i guess that's kind of surprising to me because 
the United States isn't working well with Russia and Europe isn't working well with Russia, but China's seems to be working fine with Russia. So, you know, Binance being more on that side than than the West, I would. It's kind of kind of surprising that they'd pull out of Russia, but we'll see. I, I, I can't as far as as far as money goes and bottom line stuff goes. I would imagine it's if you if you're in the U.S. you're good, and if you're not, then you know you're accumulating the remaining twenty percent of money flowing into crypto. So maybe giving up Russia is not that big of a deal. Yeah. So speaking of Binance, so there was also an interesting article or, or I guess maybe tweet from CZ, the head of Binance. There's an economist that he nicknamed Dr. Doom, who pretty much shit on everything crypto related for the past couple of years, saying how bad it was and Bitcoin was worthless and Ethereum was worthless, yada, 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 in much worse terms. But he has just come out and his company is now releasing their own token. So all this stuff of him saying crypto is bad and Bitcoin is bad, and now he's coming out with his own token. And uh, CZ kind of laid into him a little bit, but it is uh, <laughs> surprising to hear someone that said so many bad things for so many years and now is jumping into the fray. Yeah, I mean, that feels like a scam, you know? <laughs> it feels like uh, I'm going to create a token for a reason that isn't necessary, and that always seems to not work out. I think he originally had put Binance's logo on the website and all kinds of other stuff saying they were partners and CZ was like, no, <laughs> I don't trust you one bit at all. So yeah, it's it's crazy that's happening, but it's one of those where, okay, maybe the bull market is starting if everybody wants to jump in, jump in and have their own token again. I think that's all that I pretty much had for this week. What else am I missing that you wanted to talk about? Two quick things. One, BlackRock filed for Ethereum spot ETF the iShares Ethereum Trust, which part, if, if I'm the SEC, I would start to worry like, okay, we're going to lose on the Bitcoin trust or the Bitcoin to ETF issue. We lost on the XRP as a security issue. So if we can't win something that says the bulk of these crypto assets are securities, and they need to act as securities and file as securities and be regulated like securities. We're going to have to approve a gazillion crypto ETFs. Like they're going to be inundated. You know, for every for every crypto, there's ten companies that would create an ETF. So that's you know you're talking about that potentially thousands of ETFs. So they need to do something about this security versus commodity. They need to have a victory on that, or they're gonna, or we're gonna have a gazillion ETFs. Now, would it be pretty cool to have an ETF that's like, hey, we we maintain the top ten coins from based on market cap, and they buy and sell outside of that? I mean, that, you and I talked about that in twenty seventeen. <laughs> it's like you know we could create an LLC, and all we do is buy and sell the top ten crypto, and if one drops out, we sell it, and one pops in, we buy it, so that it, as it it grows up we you know we pick up the gains but but it would be nice if, if that etf existed but it would not be i mean you're there'd be a there would be a gazillion etfs of all the combinations and permutations of of oh we're the we're the privacy coin etf we're the uh we're the large cap privacy coin and the mid cap privacy coin i mean it would be it, it's going to get really stupid if the sec doesn't do something but that said 
you know, Ethereum seems to get a pass somehow for, I guess, on the on the securities discussion. But the price has gone up. It's back over 2000. So, you know, this little bull runnish kind of thing or bull correction or whatever this is to get back into the mid 30s. You know, Ethereum starting to get a little bit of a bump there. And then the other thing I had is Custodia Bank. Uh, they have released their custody platform for Bitcoin. So this this is the bank that is in Wyoming. And all they want to do is be like a fully funded bank. No fractional reserve lending. No nothing. Like you give us a dollar, we hold a dollar. And um, they finally got their custody platform off the ground. So fiduciaries, investment advisors, and corporations can use them to hold Bitcoin. I think this is a smart move because all the ETFs seem to be using Coinbase as their custody. And if they can pick up any kind of, if you know, Fidelity seems to be a good custodian. And if they can brand themselves as a custodian for Bitcoin, I think that'd be easier for corporations to hold on to their put up put bitcoin on their balance sheet so we'll see but at least it's some sort of a victory for them that's been going on for a long time they can't seem to get a federal charter as a bank because they're getting blocked out because they're so crypto friendly so anyway those are the last two pieces for me that that i had in my notes yeah the last crypto friendly banks were targeted and shut down so yeah Good luck. And <laughs> created a whole new thing so that the depositors could be made whole, even though they shut the banks down. Yeah. Everybody but the crypto companies. Yeah. So thank you, Elizabeth yeah, Warren. You're don't a- be mad at the government. Be mad at the banks. The government gave you your money back. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, awesome. Well, yeah, this was, this was fun and some interesting stuff going on. It'll be, I'm excited to see what happens with the next week coming up with the CPI numbers coming out and if we really do hear some positive ETF news in the next couple of days. So that, that'll be fun and fingers crossed that it happens and we'll, we'll talk about it next week. Yeah. I mean, keep giving me good news and keep getting that GBTC discount to get to zero because if they flip it over to an ETF and then the discounts at zero, they don't have to sell anything. So that there's no forced seller price dip. So yeah, I, Let's let's see what happens. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, Hal, great talking with you. We'll talk more soon. All right. Thanks, Jason. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.